podcast time for the Share Your Story podcast. Today's guest is Robert Party, three-time author. His first book, Chasing Life, The Remarkable True Story of Love, Joy, and Achievement Against All Odds, was published in 2021. His next two books were published in 2022, A Pimby Tale, A Modern Day Fable for the Inner Child in All of Us, as well as Possibility in Action. Though this episode was recorded after Chasing Life, the principles and conversational notes and insights that we gain are just as pertinent now as they were when the interview was recorded. I hope you find valuable insights in what we talk about on how to see the benefits of grief and turn your loss and grief into a defining experience. Welcome to another episode of the Share Your Story series. This is a podcast experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I'm your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. My website is grievingcoach.com. Before we begin, I wanted to share a little bit about the story behind this series. I've been connecting with some amazing people, and as I meet them, I learn a bit, a little bit about their stories and what their experiences are like. And they're so thrilling for me because I gain so much from their story that I can use in my own story. So I, I just want to share all these nuggets that I'm receiving. And thanks to the nonprofit organization Reimagine, I have the opportunity to have a stage where I can have conversations with people that I meet and share experiences and stories and nuggets with others. So I record my interviews on the reimagined stage and then edit them and publish the podcasts um, through Anchor. And as part of Reimagine's Grief, Growth and Action Festival, I hope this will be an interactive experience for you, even if it's interactive with yourself and your own personal reflection. So feel free to take notes and write down any inspiration that comes to you in our discussion. This episode, I have my guest Robert Party with me. Thank you, Robert, for joining us. Hey, Jenny, thank you. And I have to say for everyone that's that's listening, if you just see Jenny's enthusiasm, um, that's what makes it so great to be on this. This is she and I connected a while back, and I'm just thrilled that I was invited. It's so great to talk to you again. So this is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. Every every connection, every conversation just gives me so much energy. I wanted to share a little bit about Robert. He was born in New York City, and he's one of those rare individuals who embraces change and lives what he calls possibility in action, taking his desire for transformation and putting it into action daily. He received his MBA from Columbia University and was quickly recruited by the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, one of the largest sovereign wealth, in, uh, wealth funds. Shortly after, his wife Desiree was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Unfortunately, she passed 11 years later. 
After throwing caution to the wind, Robert left from his comfort zone. He changed careers and moved to the same Italian village his great-grandfather immigrated from over 100 years ago. He's now a certified life coach, adjunct professor, international guest speaker, and author of Chasing Life, the remarkable true story of love, joy, and achievement against all odds. Yay! Oh, that's who I am. Um, and I'm glad to say that I'm, I'm also a friend of yours. So that's that's great. So, um, but no, th thank, thank you for that. And before we j just start, so the, the whole idea of uh, possibility and action, right? Um, you were just talking about, you know, the nuggets you've gained and the experiences and all those things. And part of my, my whole philosophy is just like yours, right? We live all these amazing things. And if we don't share them, there's really no value. It's just like we put them on like... I always think of my grandmother's curio cabinet, you know, and she would put a little figurine inside and it just gets dusty, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't want my experiences to get dusty. I want to share them because that's really the gold we all have in our lives. So I'm so glad. <laughs> this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, first of all, where can people find you? Oh, sure. Um, if they want to find me, they could just go to my website, which is robertpartypardi.com. I tend to be on LinkedIn more than any other social media, but I also am on Facebook and um, Instagram. And then if they want to learn a little bit more about the personal story we're going to talk about in a way, they could go to chasinglifethebook.com. Awesome. And I'll have those in the show notes as sure. well. Tell us a little bit about the context that the book was written from. Sure. Um, well, it's uh, the context is pretty big, right? Because I met this amazing woman when I was really young. She was 17. I was 19. And um, we were one of those icky, gooey couples that, you know, were always together holding hands. You know, we always had to be touching each other. And we really grew up together. She was she was really dynamic. She was um, a really ambitious, determined woman. And she decided to pursue an MD PhD. I was pursuing um, finance more out of a desire to escape a situation I grew up in as as a child. So money to me was going to be the saving grace, let's say. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in the middle of basically everything happening for us, everything great, she was doing her MD, PhD, she was excelling. I was excelling in my career and was recruited by the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the context of the book really is more about what an amazing life we actually lived. The fact that we learned regardless of adversity, there is always joy. And that you can't, you can't chase joy. You can't um, seize it. You actually have to lean into it because it's always there. And that just means being open to it. So that's the context of, of the book. And, you know, we, we had to learn in a way which is really 
very relevant to what you do is to understand losses and to understand the process of dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And after she passed away as well, having to look at all of that in my life and you know, here I was, I was an investment banker. I was the finance guy, right? I grew up in the age of Gord Gecko and Greed Good and Wall Street and everything else. And my experience completely changed my perspective. And to not be afraid to let go of that pers- the old perspective, to in a way lose that mm-hmm. and then move forward with something new. So it was, it was very dynamic. Um, you know, it sounds, it sounds weird for a lot of people when I talk about these things, you know, um, oh, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and she passed away. And yet he's talking about joy and, you know, moving forward, um, not moving on, never moving on because Mm -hmm. a loss will be a thread in the fabric of your life. And depending on how big that loss is, the bigger that thread, I talk all the time, I'm beautifully scarred for having loved and cared for my wife, mm-hmm. um, but it's a, it's a scar. Of course it's a scar. Yeah. So the context really is um, there are two sides, right? And what's talked about a lot in terms of a disease journey and a loss journey is the pain, which, which of course was there. But there is another side of that, and uh, that's what the book is about and what chasing life means. I, I could describe that going forward, but I'll turn it back to you to ask me another question so I don't <laughs> hog the stage, let's say. I think it's an amazing point. I love the idea of beautifully scarred because as much grief as there is, there's also gratitude. Grief can give us the opportunity to create our lives in a way that we want to. And I'm not trying to minimize the pain at all. I'm not trying to say it doesn't hurt, move move on, move past it. It goes away. No, none of that. Because like a scar or like an amputated limb, it's, it's not coming back. But you can learn to do amazing things with it. I so love that. And um. I'm going to be perfectly honest that the beautifully scarred thing in a way I did steal from Harry Potter. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're a Harry Potter, if anyone's a Harry Potter fan, they know what I'm talking about, but Harry's scar was because of the love his mother had for him that protected him from, you know, uh, Voldemort yeah. and that whole thing. So yeah. that's what, what I think about, right. Is that that scar is because of love. That, that scar is because of a beautiful thing. Yes, it hurt. No, I'm, of course it hurt. But I have it. And it's such a big scar because there was so much love. And so that's, you know, you know very well that loss or the depth of loss is based on the value we gave what we lost, right? The loss is in a way a measurement of how much value we gave to something. You know, maybe you lose, we just talked about this, everybody, before we started the show that I remember Jenny talking, I believe, about a keychain, right? You lose a keychain. Okay, it's not that big a loss. You lose a keychain your, you know, grandmother gave you as an heirloom, that's a much bigger loss because Mm -hmm. there's more value to that. And part of 
for me as well, you know, you were talking about an, an amputated limb or something like that. So much that's involved in loss is a loss of the expectations of how our lives should have been. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, when I started looking at the journey I needed to go through, um, and I'm a big acronym person, so I came up with the acronym for grief. And I realized that for me, it was understanding guilt, rumination, impermanence, expectations, and managing fear. Because the only way to move forward is to overcome the fear of future losses and being hurt again. There's so much involved in that because we don't realize how resilient we are when we suffer a loss because we're involved in that emotional aspect of it, Mm -hmm. but we're still standing. And I, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I was brought up a Roman Catholic, but I'm really not a practicing Roman Catholic, but the Psalm, as I walk through the Valley of the shadow of death, the key word is to walk through. I joke all the time. We're not meant to pitch a tent, start a fire and roast marshmallows in the Valley of the shadow of death. We are meant to walk through and whatever this is, when you start to need that self-awareness of what you need to walk through, but that's not where you should be living. Right. That's, that's not where life actually takes place. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you brought up the idea of so many different losses. My wife, you know, when she was first diagnosed, they only removed because back then, you know, it was much different. It was 1997. She just turned 31 she had found the lump a year earlier. You know, she never, she didn't have a family uh, history of breast cancer. She was extremely healthy. They weren't going to send a woman at 29, 30 years old for a mammogram. She had a history of cystic breasts. So when she had the radical mastectomy, it was only on one breast. So she had a remaining breast. Mm-hmm the loss she encountered of her femininity was enormous. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different things, right? Because so much, here's another acronym for me, loss is the lack of self and security. We lose part of our identity. It has a dramatic impact on identity. And just think about her breasts. It had a dramatic impact on her identity as a woman. And she, and she was, for, I mean, to me, she was gorgeous, but, you know, everyone did say she was a very beautiful woman. And here, all of a sudden, this happened. And having to try to find something to, to balance herself. So she looked okay in clothes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how does a woman like that feel comfortable with her husband? And us having to deal with, you know, intimacy issues in that. Yeah. So loss is so much more than just the passing away of someone. Yeah. And when I work with people, that's one of the first things that we do is we name the losses. It's the loss of the person, the loss of the thing, the loss of expectations, loss of relationships, loss of roles, 
loss of ideals, loss of future. There's so many ways that one loss can impact our whole, like our whole life and environment and community. Right. And all those things you just mentioned, right? They are all based on expectations. You know, my wife and I, I was supposed to be the investment banker. She was supposed to be the successful doctor. We were going to live in a loft apartment at some point in time in New York City and have an amazing view and, and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, there is a big, in, in Italian, basically, they say, bastone uh, tra le rote. I'm not saying it exactly correctly because my pronunciation in the United States has just diminished entirely, but it's putting a stick between the spoke of a wheel, right? Uh, And so all of a sudden, everything is jammed. The direction you thought you could go in, you might not be able to go into. Um, Just, you know, my wife, she she loved the beach and wow, you know, it's very hard for a woman to go on the beach with one breast. Um, what type of bathing suit are you going to find? And then, you know, we found ways around that. We found bathing suits that you could put a prosthesis in and all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. there is all of that, that all of a sudden you have to look at those expectations. Are they valid anymore? Um, do they define you? So I, that's, that's why, you know, the conversations we've had in the past as well, were so aligned with this idea, like you said, you know, you have to name the loss. And you have to understand the impact on that. Mm-hmm. And also loss is because, again, it's based on value, right? So it's, it's different for people and it's unique. There, there is no right way to go through a loss. It, it is a unique process. And we've become a society in a way that doesn't know what to say in those situations. And so we tend to tell people, don't worry, you'll get over it or, you know, uh, just move on or, and it's, it's done out of good intention for sure. Um, Because we don't have that vocabulary anymore to, to talk about those things. I grew up and I'll talk on the, on the, um, the death side of it. I grew up where I lived in an Italian American family where when somebody passed away, they wore a black band on their arm, the Mm -hmm. men and the women wore black and it was discussed. Uh, And it was discussed more openly, not just about remembering that person, but about sitting there and seeing someone uncomfortable, you know, watching your grandmother cry hysterically and knowing it was okay for that to happen. And that, I was there only to witness it because yeah. she needed not to feel alone because even the journey of cancer, I say this all the time. I was next to my wife, the entire, I was not leaving her side. I didn't leave her side at the funeral. I actually insisted that I'd be the one to put the coffin in the furnace. Um, I was not going to leave my wife, mm-hmm. but it was her own journey as well. Like she was alone a lot with her own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And part of my role in that was to give her the space to let me know those thoughts and not make her feel uncomfortable or um, that she was wrong. You know, she wanted to scream. And if she wanted to scream at me, it was better to have that happen 
then not give her space to actually go through what she was going through. Cause then she was going to be alone while she was with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And boy, you know, people read the book. It, It is, it is a love story, right? So it sounds very nice, but boy, do we have fights and her saying, you know, I don't want to be married to a parent. And you, know, you have no idea what it feels like to be the one that has to contemplate death, which was funny because the way we managed it, she actually didn't know the progression of disease. She never wanted to know. And she asked me to manage that. And so I was actually living the disease for her understanding uh-huh. when the doctor would say, well, now it's in her, you know, lower spine. Okay. Well, we'll just keep telling her it's in her liver and we'll just go along this path. Right. But it wasn't for me to say back to her, well, no, actually, I do know, because all she wanted to know was she could be a human, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the whole thing, and I, this is a topic more of caregiving than, than grief, but the other thing that I realized is my, my role wasn't to fix, because then that would have made her an object. Yeah. My role was, again, the witnessing, the support. So she could be a person, you know, couples have fights all the time, crazy fights. Um, But then all of a sudden, when there's a disease in the middle, everyone thinks they should walk on eggshells, but you're two people trying to live together Mm -hmm. regardless. And the disease shouldn't, at least we decided it shouldn't be the focal point, but I've deviated a little bit, but the idea of loss and grief in and of itself is it's very unique Um, absolutely nobody can tell you the right way to do it because there isn't a right way grief is so individual even with the same loss everyone has a different relationship with that person or thing or place or circumstance that is lost yeah and i think what um, you talked about how society doesn't like to talk about grief and loss. And I think one thing that contributes to that is that we don't like to, like, we like to have standard things. You do this, you do this, you do this. I can control it. I can predict it. I know what's going on. Grief is not like that. <laughs> but even life is not like that, right? We, we want What you just said about we can predict and we believe we can, but we truly can't predict with such great accuracy as we've created ourselves to believe. Mm -hmm. And so that whole idea of needing something standard, it makes everyone much more comfortable because when we're in that unknown, when we can't predict the outcome, it's really uncomfortable, right? We feel almost impotent in a way to what's happening around us because it's unknown. And so we back away. It's, it's not to say that, you know, the don't worry, you'll get over it and everything else is, is wrong. It's just this such a completely different vocabulary that the people that are grieving need to hear. Yeah. And you, you, you learn that as you're going through it as well. Um, from the very beginning, when she was diagnosed, our vocabulary changed. Um, 
what we needed from people was different than what we needed in the past. And, you know, we didn't want that sort of head bob is, is everything okay? You know, that sort of look on the, the face of, of pity. And again, that, that, that was done out of really good intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that there's, there's more conversation about all these topics, especially coming through the pandemic. You and I just both talked about this earlier. You know, there was an amazing article in the New York Times that mentioned we're going to enter a pandemic of grief because there were so many losses and not just of, of people, of, like you said, roles, responsibilities. My role changed as my wife got progressively more ill mm-hmm. um, to more of, of a parent. Yeah. Because regardless of if we didn't want it, someone had to clean up her throw up or, you know, help her to the bathroom or that, that role changes. And there was the loss of the role of us being a vibrant couple. And that couldn't have been ignored Mm -hmm. at all. Um, So it was, and continues to be a very interesting journey to tell you the truth. And that's the thing with grief. It doesn't, it's not static. The journey changes depending on our experiences, our growth or lack of it. Um, our life, you can't stop time. Like you can't say, all right, my person just died. This thing just is no longer. I've just experienced this major loss. I want to stop the world. Many oh. people want that, but it's not possible. I can't tell you how many times I actually said that. I'm like, can we just take a pause for five seconds? Like, please, you know, let me catch my breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, it's, it's such an overwhelming feeling when that happens, right? And that, that's just overwhelm in general. How many times do people feel like they have to catch their breath when not even talking about grief and loss, mm-hmm. right? Just in general. And I love what you said at the beginning of people, you know, that this is sort of something that they can do on their own, you know, go inside self-awareness type thing. Um, what I realized is the need to catch my breath was based on almost me not wanting to recognize some things. Like I was saying to the universe, let me catch my breath before I have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. but it was actually the dealing with it that created healing. The avoidance of it made it bigger and made it heavier. And that's the hardest thing I think to actually do is to put your toe on that water, right? You don't want to yeah. put your toe in that water. It's sitting there. You know, you have to deal with it, but you don't want to deal with it. And it could be, you know, in the case of a, a loss of a person, maybe dealing with clothes or something. I, my, my wife and I, I love her deeply to, to this day. And we were, we were very funny with each other. But um, when she passed away at the hospital, you know, I whispered in her, her ear and I said, okay, baby, you know who I am. 
So yes, I'm going to go back to the apartment and I'm packing up all your clothes and I'm going to give them to um, dress for success. Because you know me, this stuff has to be packed up. Now that was my way of doing things. And I'm also someone that tries as best as I can to add humor into things. I think mm -hmm. that comes from my childhood. And so humor for me has always been a coping mechanism. And so that was like, you know, telling her that and, and so forth. And I, and I did, I, I packed up her clothes and I gave everything to justice for success right away because I'm somebody that rips off the band-aid. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think a lot of people, when they are confronted with loss, maybe there's a lack of self-awareness of how they deal with things that they don't know what the strategy is. But when you're more self-aware of who you are, and this becomes a life skill, right? Mm -hmm. I just recently talked about how, for me, caregiving is probably the most extreme boot camp of life. And it requires you to actually learn who you are. And mm -hmm. in that, you, 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 you learn your life skills. I also grew up with an alcoholic dad, so that taught me a lot of things where I did learn. I'm somebody that rips off the Band-Aid, right? So that gave me the ability to maybe deal with grief a little more constructively or proactively. Mm -hmm. But the journey with Desiree as well, um, we both learned how to live life very consciously. Yeah. And so that was another skill I brought in. Okay, here's this grief. I know who I am. I know what my, my skills are, let's say, of how to deal with this constructively. I had to be conscious in making decisions. And I, I learned that as well. So there are so many complexities as to why, outside of just the emotional aspect of the loss itself, that, in my opinion, make loss so hard and make grief so big. Mm -hmm. um, but the more you know about yourself or how you define yourself like that hashtag possibility and action it's the action part i'm not someone that can sit still if i'm in the valley of the shadow of death i'm running through i'm not going to walk you know yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll change the psalm okay so you know that will be in in my version of the scriptures going forward but uh -huh. um but again that that's that's me that doesn't make it the right way right and it's not for everybody. Some people like my kids hate band-aids. Even if they're they're hurt, they will not use band-aids because they hate ripping off that band-aid. And they they like the alcohol method of soaking it in alcohol, rubbing alcohol first so that it comes off easily. Okay. Or more more gently. And it's so so important to know your style. Yes. Because when grief comes, when when we experience grief, not only are all, are we dealing with all of the complexities of grief and loss, but many many times we have to figure out who we are again. Yeah, so true, so true. Uh, be, because we are we are different. That's the funny thing, and it's somewhat based on those that expectations. But you know. Here, I'm a life coach now. I was an investment banker. The whole journey, my perspective shifted so dramatically. 
because a loss creates a shift in perspective regardless. It, it does almost create this shift of awareness where you have to say, okay, so now what's next? Mm-hmm. But you can't know what's next if you don't know who you are right because you you have to craft that's what what's next you have you have to be constructive you yeah. know the funny th- the, the band-aid thing you know they're children so they they couldn't understand or think understand this or think this way but i think part of what happened for me as well is and you talked about before you know stories and relationships and we have relationships with our stories as well which is extremely important to understand why we have certain stories or why we hold on to certain stories, which of course is a little different than what we're talking about. But for me, I wanted to be the type of person that would rip the bandaid off. You know, I want to be the type of person that will just walk into an ice cold shower and say, this is, you know, okay, there's no hot water today. It's okay. Instead of like, you know, um, but that comes from how we define ourselves and grief is loss and grief are moments of self-definition because you have to, you have to ask yourself, how am I going to show up here? Because we, we don't want to, but we we have to. And it's not just talking about, you know, the loss of a person, like we've been, been saying, but we will all be confronted with loss and grief. Mm-hmm. We can't avo- avoid it. It's part of the journey we've signed up for in this life. I mean, yes. at the end, our train also reaches the final destination. We don't know when the stop is, right? But that requires us to understand, well, how am I going to show up in this life? People, when after my wife passed away and I said, okay, I'm moving out of the country um, I'm going to go back to Dubai. I was in significant debt. So I had to actually stay in finance for a while and pay everything off. And then I followed my dream to live in Italy. And, you know, yes, I was an investment banker, but I was teaching English for $8 an hour in Italy because I needed the money. I needed the $8 an hour. I spent it all taking care of Des. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had people look at me as if I was wrong or maybe that I didn't love my wife. They're like, how can you do that? And I'm like, because the definition of who I am is to do that. That doesn't mean I don't have pain. I have pain to this day. I'm, I'm in New York City, which I haven't been in a while. And, you know, walking by Rockefeller Center and seeing the Christmas tree being put up, we would go every year when they first brought the tree into the city, you know, and it was just, that was, and I was, yeah, it, you know, it tugged at my heart. It, mm-hmm. it, it really did. But the definition, the philosophy with which I want to live my life, I looked at it after she she passed away in the grieving process and asked myself, okay, does this definition still hold valid? And if it does, what do I need to do to live that definition? That has nothing to do with me not being in pain or that the loss wasn't significant for me. But it's that idea of it is this beautiful scar. And it is for me to carry that scar forward if that's the definition of who I am. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's sort of you know what led me to live in Italy and recreate my life and have new experiences. Yeah. So much amazing stuff for people who are struggling to find their definition of who they are and what they want to create in their lives going forward. What tips or suggestion would you give to them? Great question because these, what's so amazing about these types of conversations we have that tend to talk about, you know, loss, grief, even the journey towards end of life. It's all about life skills more than anything else. I mean, this life is for for us to live. We are not to be used by life. We should be using life. So if someone is trying to figure that out for themselves, first of all, there's something we used to do. And when I say we used to do, I, I, I sound like, you know, I'm a 150 year old man. Uh, but I'm thinking more what I saw from maybe my grandparents, because I was very close with my grandparents. And I actually knew my great grandfather um, that came from the town I'm living in now. They admired people. Today, we tend to compare ourselves, which is really corrosive. Mm -hmm. But a way to understand who you are or the potential, let's say, um, because we're all so we're so full of potential, we're so full of possibility, is if there's things you admire in people, it's because you're gravitating towards that. And that's already an indication of who you are. You know, if, if you really admire someone that gives back to, you know, they, they, I don't know, they work, they volunteer or something like that, there's something in you about wanting to be a person that's giving. If you are someone that admires someone that is, is amputated and runs a marathon and I, that true admiration, that, that, that spirit just fills you, well, you know what? You are someone that wants to overcome adversity. That's part of it. Um, you know, there are lots of tools. There's, there's values, clarification, and understanding what your true values are. But it just more than anything else, it requires you to, to ask questions. A lot of times we don't, you know, part of the the grieving process, and I think part of even the caregiving process is you're always suffering losses. And if you start to ask questions about who you are or what you really want, you might wind up losing the people around you as well Mm -hmm. because they know you a certain way. Yeah. We, Desiree and I, we lost family members. Oh, and I lost a lot of people in my life actually moving to Italy and, and doing all these different things because they needed me to be a certain way in their life. Mm-hmm. And so my, my changing then could alienate them. So a lot of times we don't ask ourselves questions because we're afraid of losing what we already have. But it really does come down to, you know, what is the story I want to live? Like, what do I want my life to represent? What character am I playing in my life? Am I playing the main character or am I playing a secondary character to others' expectations? And these are difficult questions. You know, people, again, that whole idea of me moving to Italy, 
a lot of, and I'm not saying that everyone picks up and moves to a different country, but it, it's a mindset. It has nothing to do with the amount of money or not. I could have stayed in Dubai and I'd be pretty well off right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I moved to Italy and was teaching English for $8 an hour because for me, I wanted to be the person to, and I'm using this word very consciously here, to attempt. That's what I want my life to represent. And I, I say attempt because the more I've contemplated it, um, and this is so not uh, part of a grief conversation, but the more I realized it, the word try, when we say try, we've already accepted all the reasons we can fail. There's a but that's buried in try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to try. In our head, we're like, but, you know, this could happen, that can happen, and we'll be okay because I'm trying. So I've learned to tell myself I'm going to attempt because it doesn't have the same trigger. Attempt for me is, yeah, I'm going to go out on, on the field. Like Brene Brown, she um, talks about a quote from President Roosevelt. It's the man in the arena speech, and it's about stepping into the, the arena. And yeah, attempt for me is stepping into the arena. Mm-hmm. These are all questions that really, or answers that come from questions that we ask ourselves. Who do I want to be in my life? How do I want to live? What do I want to represent? Yeah. We put lots of barriers on that because of the constructs around us. Grief, as you said very earlier, um, well, you said earlier, and I, I think that, w- that was key, is that grief breaks everything apart. It mm-hmm. removes it removes the unnecessary. Loss removes the unnecessary. When we realize how much unnecessary we've been carrying, it's shocking. And when we start to let that go, there's, there's a lot more space. Um, everyone knows the, the term minimalism. Mm-hmm. What I think grief and loss have the potential to show us is living an essential life or essentialism. What is essential to me? Yeah. And that sounds very selfish. A lot of people hear that and they think that we're putting ourselves at the center and it's, it's selfish. Living who we are, being unique, because we are. What a blessing that is, right? Mm-hmm. We're not all the same. Um, there's nothing selfish in that at all. Because then you're giving, you're reflecting your uniqueness. Yeah. You're coloring the world with your own color. And so, because I, I use color because I love a kaleidoscope. Um, that's my thing. I carry a kaleidoscope with me all the time. And we create a kaleidoscope out of our lives. Loss are those little fragments of glass as well. Grief are those fragments. Happiness, joy, all the things, all of that is in, is in there, right? You can't have a half a kaleidoscope. Right. You know, or you can't have a kaleidoscope that's all one color. It's not going to be the same. So to get back to, you know, your question, I think what is so extremely important is how do I want to show up in my life? What do I represent? And being 
and this is this is the hard part, right? Being okay, what the ripple effect of that will be. And mm-hmm. I have a, a great friend, she talks about being a lighthouse all the time. And she and I talk about light. And I joke, we all have a light. And if somebody needs to wear sunglasses around us, well, then they're the wrong person. And that's natural selection. So maybe, you know what, if you really step into who you want to be and it's loss and grief that opens your eyes and people fade away, they weren't the right people for you. As, Mm -hmm. As hard as that sounds. So then does loss and grief become a catalyst for growth and change? And that's an amazing, because it sounds so wrong, right? Because we think that when we lose something and we grieve something, we're supposed to sit there and be crushed. Nobody said that has to be the case. We can be crushed and we can grow at the same time. Yes. And there is the power in all of this. And that's the same as the the book with Desiree and the life that we live together is this idea of adversity pain, struggle does not have to be the definition of how you live. It doesn't have to be the focal point or the center. Mm-hmm. Now, Tony Robbins is who Tony Robbins is. He talks about that Thanksgiving story and the turkey and um, because he didn't, he rose above that and said, that's not going to define me. That's a very conscious choice. Yeah. And so if we have a societal norm of, well, oh, you know, grief is supposed to be heavy and, and it is, I'm not saying it isn't, oh my God, it, it, it is, it hurts. It, mm-hmm. it certainly hurts. Yeah. Yeah. But does it have to impede us, stop us, crush us, weigh us down? It doesn't have to at all. Yeah. It's part of a journey and it's a point of reflection. Um, you know, when, when, when Desiree was diagnosed, which is the first of the losses you go through in a disease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a grieving process the whole way. Grief, Absolutely. grief is just not at the end, but you're grieving the whole way through. And then there's anticipatory grief because you're, you're, when, when is the last day going to happen? Right. And, that's what I mean about, you know, in that acronym I gave impermanence, when you realize that we're not meant to keep, not, nothing is permanent. Mm-hmm. There's not one thing that, you know, plastic maybe, unfortunately <laughs> seems to be permanent in the ocean, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, everything changes. I say on many podcasts, the ancient Japanese used a calendar of 72 seasons. Nice to actually represent change. We're just not as aware of change. And then we're trying to, you know, we're very youth focused. So, you know, we try to make sure that our face is very young looking all the time. <laughs> we, can, we can hide the, the, the evidence of change, but inside we know everything is changing, right? Yeah. We have to give up everything on our, our deathbed. So everything is impermanent regardless. And when you get to that point, of understanding it, that anticipatory grief, I was able to let go of because it's, it's not about that last moment. It's about the day she and I were living. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's where life was taking place. Yeah. And so grief, anticipatory grief opened that up for me. Because I was thinking, why am I living and feeling and worrying about her dying when she's right in front of me? Mm -hmm. Living right now. We're living right now. We have the opportunity to laugh, cry, you know, fight with each other, whatever the case is. But we have the opportunity to live at this moment. And so that's where I started gaining this, this concept of, wow, grief just opened a door for me to understand something and mm-hmm. liberate me from some of that unnecessary, some of that worry. Right. Um, and that's not to say we shouldn't plan and do all the things to, to, to do, try to avoid, let's say, you know, the end result. But it was more the fact, hmm, wow, maybe grief is a tool that I could use to yes. grow, to learn. So absolutely. And the cool thing about grief is that it's available to every single one of us. It's a tool that we are given as human beings. We all are born and we all will face grief and loss throughout our lives. You know, anyone listening is like, did she just say grief is cool? (laughs) (laughs) I did notice that. And I'm like, yes, grief is cool. uh, Grief is cool. (laughs) That's going to be a t-shirt. But, um, (laughs) you, you know, that idea of it's 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 a tool um what if we looked at our lives as we're here to learn who we are mm-hmm. right then that makes everything a tool or we can we can utilize things and let's say reframe them as a tool er, early on my my wife and I had a, this was one of the amazing things I think about Desiree, regardless of what was happening, we're able to have amazing conversations, like deep philosophical conversations. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we talked about anger around her diagnosis. And um, I did, I, I grew up in an abusive relationship with an alcoholic dad and, and anger around that. And we both realized that if we were happy with who we were, so again, understanding ourselves, Mm self-awareness, if we could stand there and say, I'm happy who I am, then we had to thank every single thing that happened in our lives, even that loss and even that grief, because it made us who we were. And that was when after Desiree passed away, I wanted to understand, yeah, I am happy with who I am. I want to look with curiosity and enthusiasm with who I can become. And I want to be happy with that. So who is that person? And that's where a lot of admiration came in. And I defined that avatar of who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And it was even walking further, further away from fear. Like I said, you know, I could have been comfortable in Dubai. Um, I had a, a great business partner. I had a nice life. And I said, you know what? 
no, I'm actually the type of person that you know, likes change. And that's who I want to be. I want to be a change master. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, yeah, I'm going to put everything in two suitcases and show up in Italy and not speak the language and not have a job and not know anyone and not have a place to live and say, what's next? Would I have become that person if I didn't go through loss and grief? No. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, this is, we're, we're having a conversation of coming through the other side. And like I said, I was just, I saw the New York City Christmas tree and, you know, my stomach just went into a knot because God, I miss my wife every single moment of every single day. And the pain is always there and the hurt is always there. Mm-hmm. But it's much more acute, of course, when the thing for the, the events, the loss happens and not just somebody passing away, but any of those, you, you lose a job that defines you, right? Think about how many people lost their job during the pandemic, companies that went bankrupt. Yeah. You know, that was what you were going to be, who you were going. Now, here's the rub, right? Were you going to be the successful entrepreneur or was the definition just being the entrepreneur? and taking that chance. And so the loss doesn't change the fact that you're somebody that took the risk. So now how do you manage the fear to maintain that part of yourself? I absolutely love that. The loss doesn't change the fact that you are the person that took the risk. Right. And so the weight that you put on the loss, again, that idea that we talked about of loss is a measurement of how much you cared about or how valuable that thing was just shows how much or how all in you were to a certain thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you had that big painful loss. Um, That means that that was so valuable to you. Yeah. And that's part of your definition. What I, what I realized after Des passed away, you know, I felt like I should have a relationship after she passed away. I was like, my God, you know, life seems so empty because uh, how can I go on vacation alone? Or, you know, I was, I was 19, she was 17. I mean, I really, it's not like I had great opportunities to date, you know, high school doesn't count. It's just yeah. way, it's way too easy. You know, your lockers are right next to each other and the next thing you know, your boyfriend and girlfriend, but um, you know, and so I started looking at all those things and thinking I really should be in a relationship and, you know, I don't want to be. And I realized really what it was all about was connection. It wasn't about the relationship, right? So that, again, a lot of that came from understanding where my values lied. Mm -hmm. And so, again, if you what I lost with Desiree, of course, I lost love and everything else, but it was that great connection. Yeah. So if you're that entrepreneur that lost a business and, you know, forget the financial aspect, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks if you lose a lot of money. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 it really does. Um, if you remove that aside for a second and the, and the loss is about, you know, well, I really wanted to do that. And that was going to be my thing. That means, hey, that's what's important. Mm-hmm. 
That's what don't 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 give that up. That's still inside you. And so all of that that I I felt for for Des and I still feel for Des, it was all based on connection and it was based on what I actually gave her or did for her. That's what led me to life coaching. Yeah. That because I I, I realized, wow, you know what? I miss helping her. And not I'm not talking about in the negative way of, you know, she was needing me. And so that gave me value, but it was Mm -hmm. actually seeing someone rise and watching them achieve their dreams. And that, that said to me, wait a minute, that's what I feel. That's one of those things that I feel like I really, really lost, which meant I gave it a lot of value. So what is that? Well, that's definitely not finance. And so that's how the evolution happened because I wanted to look at grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to ignore it because it was painful. Yeah. And that comes from, you know, my definition of, all right, it's painful. Bring it on. Let's see what it's going to bring out. But that, that was growing up with my dad as well. So, yeah. you know, you, you hit me, I fall down. Okay. I'm going to get back up. Hit me twice. You know, look, I'm, I'm going to be able to take it. Mm-hmm. But again, so, so a long, long conversation here of self-awareness is key. And yeah. loss is an indicator of things that were important to you. Grief is an indicator of things that were important to you. Yeah. I recently had a, um, a conversation with my husband about the griefs that he's experienced in his life. And what I realized was I used, like, I have been saying that grief is the result, the natural reaction of loss or change. Now, my definition of grief is morphed into the loss or absence of connection of something that's valuable to you. And it doesn't have to be valuable in a positive way. It can be valuable in a negative way as well. Wow, that's so great. That's, at the very beginning, you, you said something about stories but we have relationships to stories. And so, like you said, you know, um, it might not be positive. The, the whole uh, Stockholm syndrome, people suffer loss because they're not with their captors anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole big dynamic in that. So that's what's so interesting about the, the feeling of grief, because it's telling you something. Yeah. I love, you know, the idea of just our bodies or there's whispers in our mind and, and so forth, you know, and grief is one of those that is, is trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. And Oprah Winfrey says all the time, you know, life will whisper to you. And if you don't listen, it's going to, you know, poke you or whatever. But at the end, she says, and if you don't listen, it's going to hit you upside with a brick, you know, against your head or something like that. And it just makes me laugh because that's what grief does if you don't engage with it. Yeah. It gets bigger, heavier, and it's going to keep pushing. And the thing is, like you said, you know, it's all kinds of grief. It's not just losing a person that you love. But if you don't address it, because it's that big, ugly, hairy thing in the room that, you know, oof, um, 
yeah, that's just going to get bigger and bigger and it's going to take up the oxygen. It's going to take up the space. Mm -hmm. So what I found more, more than anything else is the moments that I looked, I allowed grief in. Yeah. Um, And I can talk about this, you know, with my childhood, but uh, many different, many different things. The moments I allowed grief in, I then became in control of the situation. The moment that I was pushing it away, it had all the power. And so does that help people necessarily deal with grief? I hope so. There's a lot involved in that that we couldn't talk about. Does it take away the pain? Again, the pain is natural. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but the thing is, are you walking through or are you sitting there roasting marshmallows in that valley? Yeah. Um, So I think all of this, and and I I hope the people listening are, are realizing that grief is a natural aspect of our lives because loss is a natural aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. And we can't walk around with the Pollyanna rose glasses and believing that, you know, Instagram is a real life and comparing ourselves to that. When we're suffering, I found it very useful to look at those people that I, I admired that suffered or had resilience yeah because that's what i wanted to be in the situation and i think we're going to end on that note sure um just if i can sum up our conversation it would be look to who you admire in your grief allow that grief to come in and teach you the lessons that i I like to think of grief as a person allow grief to teach you the lessons that she has to teach you and pick up those tools that she gives you and go to work and do something with them. Create your own life. Create the life that you want to live going forward. I, I love that. That's the whole conscious thing. What, what I'd love to do is because, like, yeah, I, I know we got to go, but I'd like to say just um, there's a quote that I, I swear define my, my wife's life. And it's by Richard Bach. I believe it comes from his book, One. And it says, we are all born with a block of marble and the tools to craft it into a sculpture. We can leave it untouched. That's inaction. We can pound it into gravel. That would be anger. Or we can shape it into glory. If we open our eyes and ears and hearts to all the things that are happening around us that we can learn from, we'll have the tools to shape it into glory. Yeah, absolutely. So what a great conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Rob, for being with us. And oh, so many, so many nuggets and insights and, and not only for our listeners, but also for me in my own life. Wonderful. So yeah, I, I always you, learn you so from much. you. I, I always learn from you as well. So, you know, grief is a teacher. I love that. Let her in for sure. So thank you. Awesome. So definitely check out Rob's book, Chasing Life. Reach out to him at robertparty.com. Yep. 
and chasinglifethebook.com. And he's also on Instagram and uh, more so on LinkedIn, yes. Robert Party and Instagram. Cool. Okay. Thank you so much, Rob, again. Sure. And thank you, listeners. Take care, everybody.